1: I'm Audrey Cooper, the editor-in-chief of the San Francisco Chronicle.
2: And I'm Kevin Fagan, (laughs) a reporter at the San Francisco Chronicle.
1: And Kevin, we recently had an event as part of the San Francisco Homeless Project where we brought in San Francisco Mayor London Breed, and uh, she talked with me for about 45 minutes on the issue of homelessness, and you did the second part of this event.
2: Yeah, I had three people in. I had two social workers and, and a homeless guy who lives in a van who I thought, was very smart to join the
1: conversation. I thought we had a good time. He was great. Uh, I thought the event was really pretty eye-opening for a couple of reasons. The first is we got the mayor on record um, about some issues. Uh, She got kind of angry and heated in some parts. And, you know, there was a little part, which I don't know if everybody from the audience could tell, but she was tearing up a little. What did did you get out of this event?
2: From my panel, I thought it it illuminated a lot of things. I I loved listening to your Uh, bit of the
1: Uh, forum well everybody else will get to listen to a little bit of it and we'll (laughs) play some clips uh during this podcast uh fifth emissions coming up right after this
0: this episode is brought to you by shopify do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real pos you need shopify for retail from accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system.
1: Kevin, welcome back to Fifth Emission.
2: Oh, glad to be here, Audrey.
1: Yeah, we had a great time at this event, um, as great of a time as you can have, I think, discussing such a crisis as we have in San Francisco. Um, uh, around our our homelessness epidemic. You know, I, I thought we would start off with our interview with um, Mayor Breed. And specifically, mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but one of the things I hear from a, lo- a lot of housed people is that they're afraid of welcoming navigation centers into their neighborhood. These are shelters with, as you call it, wraparound services right. so you can get Drug counseling, mental health, they try to get you into supportive housing, try to get you off the streets. There have been a lot of places that don't want navigation centers at all in this city.
2: Yeah, people don't want homeless people around them if you're housed. And the homeless people uh, actually like navigation centers. They're more expensive than typical shelters. And I thought Mayor Breed uh, illuminated some of that very well, talking about how, how crime actually drops around most nav centers uh, it's, you're in a controlled environment. You're all encouraged to behave well. It's a, it's a beacon of something that can be useful for people. Uh, and the, just the discussion of that I thought was useful.
1: Yeah. She had a really explosive meeting early on in her tenure when she went down to the Embarcadero and she tried to convince residents mm-hmm. there to accept a navigation center. She got shouted down, uh, she's getting it from both sides, from the housed people and also the advocates for the homelessness. And she had a lot to say about how important it is to keep the navigation centers be um, good good neighbors oh, in yeah, the community. Yeah.
3: I understand that people are sometimes, you know, uncomfortable or maybe afraid of the unknown, of a change. Um, and the fact is our na- our navigation centers they don't necessarily look like there's a, they're a homeless shelter. Um, the way that we construct them, the plants and how we try and do what we can to, you know, help them to blend in the neighborhood or make them look appealing is so that, you know, the neighborhood, you know, is, is, is supportive of the concept of what we're trying to do. Um, how and important and, is that what they look like outside? Because I think the be, division be it's important one is important because good? when you're trying to help people, I think it's important that we make sure that they're in a nice environment too, both inside and outside, um, that they're able to be in a, in, a, in, a, in a place that's beautiful, like anyone else deserves to be in a place that's beautiful. So I think it goes both ways. Um, and, and so I understand that people are, are skeptical, and what I say is, give us a chance. Let us
1: try it. So one of the other things that we talked about with the mayor that has has been an issue of mine for a very long time is the open drug dealing in the tenderloin and the needle problem we have throughout the city with um, discarded needles. You know, I think we run a risk of too often conflating drug addicts with homeless people. Yeah. Some homeless people yeah. are drug addicts. Some drug addicts are not homeless people. <laughs> so there is a, a problem with conflating the two. But I think in the public mind, these are inextricably linked.
2: Yeah. Yeah, they are. And it's it, it, the imagery is horrible. And it, you know, the, the bottom line is no one wants to be a junkie. Uh, no one wants to be homeless. But you you see this all the time, in your face, every day. And it it it's got a numbing effect, and then it has an enraging effect. And people are mad; uh, they don't want to to see this. And and I thought it was interesting that the mayor pointed out that the the needle, the amount of needles in the streets has actually dropped somewhat. Uh, and I think some of that's due to fentanyl coming up because now that you're cooking it on a piece of foil; you're not using a needle as
1: much. Absolutely, I, I think I do think that's true. But I, I also think they are getting more aggressive about the discarded needles. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of businesses around here at Fifth Mission. We have people picking them up who work on staff here. So I think there's a lot of reasons behind that. I also think, frankly, people are tired of calling 311. But the mayor, she acknowledged that the drug dealing was a frustration of hers too, even admitting that she has close family members who've had uh, drug oh, yeah. addictions. Yeah. She, it's very personal for her, but she called out the district attorney without saying his name <laughs> and did. challenged voters to do something about
3: it. I've unfortunately um, dealt with addiction in my family, um, with my sister, with other relatives, with my brother. And in fact, um, when I think about the challenges that they had without the opportunity to get help, without the ease of an opportunity to get help, I think that we have to do better. Um, We have wonderful programs like Health Right 360 and Delancey Street, and a lot of times people are arrested and they go to jail before they sometimes commit to some of these programs. But just imagine if you are going to a safe injection site every day, you're not being judged, and all of a sudden you decide, I'm ready to get clean, I'm ready to get help that's where you're gonna go. And, and, and I really want it for the purposes of providing treatment on demand, because we have new drugs that could help people you know, almost on the spot. I mean, I think about even my sister, when she would call my grandmother's house, she's like, come get me, you know, I'm ready to get help. And then you go to the tenderloin looking for her, and she's like, nowhere to be found. And anyone who's had to deal with relatives that you've tried to get help for, you, you know that it is the most difficult thing But it's easier when the people that they're interacting with are the same people that they can go to for treatment. Um, So I think a different approach, to try a different approach is something that I think um, could help improve on the conditions, and being a lot more aggressive and cutting back on the drug dealing um, in in the tenderloin, and let me tell you, um, the frustration I have is, look. I get that we don't want to send people to prison for selling drugs. I totally understand that. But there has to be consequences.
1: So after I spoke with the mayor, uh, you came on stage with a panel of three pretty amazing men. Do you want to talk about where did you find these guys?
2: Well, two of them I've known for many years. One was Jason Albertson, a wonderful social worker who has dealt with the most chronically homeless people Uh, you can find in the street for a long, long time. I trust him. I've been on counseling trips with him. Uh, And then uh, Joe Joe Wilson uh, heads up Hospitality House, which is a a terrific nonprofit that offers shelter, counseling, job help. He knows the landscape, and he was homeless himself. And then Kyle Murphy is a young man who lives in a van, uh, and he's a college student and an Army vet. And I thought he had an interesting perspective. He's, he's got his head screwed on pretty straight. And we just went across some of the topics I like to talk about. Why are there homeless people? What do you do about it? And what are the attitudes you're dealing with?
1: I think Kyle was a fabulous addition to this panel, and he was he was super nervous backstage, which uh, I think people mm-hmm. don't appreciate what it, what it takes to get on stage in front of 500 people and talk about. Yeah, he's
2: not a performer.
1: Yeah, yeah, why why he's chosen to be homeless and and live in his van, and in his case, he's saving a lot of money through the GI Bill in order to start a business. And to me, the growing issue with people choosing to live in RVs. Or their vans is a really difficult problem, and and one that's growing as part of this crisis.
2: Yeah, it really shows the again the stratification of homelessness. You don't have just the people in blankets on the street. You have a, a wide range, right up to, to to Kyle. Kyle be Kyle could be having a job, uh, could be living in an apartment. He chooses to do this because the economics are so tight for him, and that, like you said, a lot of people are in those straits. And he talked a little bit about how. You keep your own oh, your own self-image straight and, and deal with the judgment that you get from other people and the judgment you put on yourself and how you kind of come to, to a piece with that so that you can move forward and not feel like you know, you're just some carbuncle on society because you're a homeless person.
4: For me personally, something that I've come to just very recently is maybe it's less about suspending judgment and just acknowledging that it's there stop trying to hide from the subconscious level judgments that may stem from societal things, from things that have been bred into us from hundreds of years of being a particular way and just acknowledging that that darkness, that, that way of thinking is there for some reason. And I think in acknowledging that, you can be kind to yourself. It's like, okay, I just judge this person and that reflects me more than it reflects them.
1: So, in addition to talking to about how people view the range of homeless people that we have in this city and others, I really thought Jason had some fascinating points about just telling people what it's like to be an outreach worker. These are not easy jobs.
2: Oh, no. I've I've, I've been with Jason in camps where people are angry at him, screaming at him, screaming at me, and he has this sense of calm and purpose. That that calms people down. It's it's almost like, well, you could think of a lot of metaphors, but uh, what I what I think of when I think of Jason is someone who really digs in and and gets to the core of what's bothering people. He he has this a couple of lines that he uses. Uh, you know, what is your addiction? Uh, what can I do to help you? Uh, what will make your life better? How can we get you inside and away from this? Because this is not a safe place for you to be in the street in a tent. And he says it in a way that people respond to. Not everyone, of course, gets, at it, you know, gets into the, the, the healthier path, but he laid this out for us in, in a way that I thought was really accessible for a lot of the crowd.
4: I think it's a combination of things, what I uh, towards the end started calling the outreach technology technology. A bundle of things that you do, and the most important one, the one that is the threshold issue that without which nothing will really get done, is to develop trust with the person who's living in that mm-hmm. vehicle. And if you think about it from your own perspective, how do you develop trust with the people around you? You, you do what you say you're going to do, and you don't do the things that you shouldn't do. And the second thing I think that's also a threshold issue is you always hold hope that the difficult circumstances that a person confronts, which they may not be able to recognize as difficult because it's too hard to do that, that those difficult circumstances can be temporary, that there is an expected result that we hold for a good or for a better or for an improved experience of existence. We
1: talk about this a lot in the newsroom. Uh, there was a very famous Willie Brown quote way back when he was yeah. mayor um, that he famously said homelessness is an issue that we will never solve. And that was yeah. I, I, it's still a controversial statement. I asked the mayor about it. She kind of waffled on it. She always she said there will always be coming here, people coming here. You also put that to Joe Wilson, who was himself uh, homeless at one point.
0: Yeah,
2: he was in the 80s when when homelessness was beginning. And he, he, uh, he has a great delivery. I call, I, I call him a preacher man sometimes because he has a bit of that cadence. But when we asked him, he, he just said, "No, nah, it's not going to happen." Do you think we're ever going to get rid of homelessness, or address it to be, put it a little better?
4: Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I think there's our economic system ensures that there will always be. Uh, a permanent underclass. As long as housing continues to be an economic venture, rather than a public good, um, the the effects of over speculation uh, mm-hmm. far outweigh the effects of
0: regulation.
2: And what I think he's talking about is you're never gonna get all the way to empty. Uh, you're always gonna have people in. So what most people want to shoot for in homeless technology, as they say, is pulling people off the street almost as fast as they get on it. So that can be a statistical zero. But Joe was wonderfully blunt. I like the way he put that.
1: I think a lot of people left this event and, and hopefully will leave future Chronicle events that we discuss with, a, with an elevated idea of the complexity of this issue. And, you know, I, I really worry, to be honest with you, that we're getting to compassion fatigue in this city. And I think uh, having these policy discussions where we keep our eyes on the people who need help is just the most critical role of the media.
2: And, you know, one thing that's very important to me, We don't have compassion fatigue. We're always hitting it. We're always trying. We're always trying to to inform the public and push the, the, the meter forward. And I love that about the Chronicle.
1: Me too. Thanks for being on today, Kevin.
2: All right. Thank you.
1: Thank you to reporter Kevin Fagan for being on today. Thank you to King Kaufman for producing this episode. And thanks to everybody who listened. You can learn more about the San Francisco Homeless Project and policy issues that are confronting the Bay Area by going to sfchronicle.com backslash homelessness. Fifth and Mission is part of the San Francisco Chronicle podcast network.
4: If you like this show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts.
1: And if you've got a minute to give us a quick review, that helps us build our audience so we can keep growing.
4: You can support Fifth and Mission and the newsroom that creates it with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle.
1: There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com
3: slash subscribe.